in Idaho, let me tell you what. Fall in Idaho is that time of year when there is a 40 to 50 degree differential throughout the day. Can I get an amen? In the morning, you need some jeans, a sweater. By lunchtime, you're like, oh, maybe some capris, a light jacket. And by 3 o'clock, it's like full beach gear, okay? I have to pick up my daughter at 3 o'clock at North Elementary on the largest asphalt pad in this community. And it's a, it's akin to going to Hades. And Jack's on the swing. We're red-faced and sweaty. And I'm like, oh, fall, I love you so much. This morning was so lovely, and yet here we are, right? But fall is so fun because it's the time of football season and pumpkin patches and cool evenings and football games and all those fun things. Of course, the parade. And, and I, I don't know if you know this or if you remember this, some of you who are grandparents, there's also a very special event that happens in fall that you might have forgotten about. It is called the annual fall closet switch. Now, does anybody uh, know what I'm talking about? The little kids? Yeah, you know, you know. It's a very special, momentous occasion when you get the opportunity to wrangle your children into trying on every single pair of pants from last year to see what still fits and what is now unfit for public viewing. And by the end, you have a pile of unwearable clothes and everyone is crying. And it's so wonderful, right? You should come to my house. It's great. But I, I'm being playful, of course, because, of course, you know that I want, every year, I want my kids to outgrow their clothes, right? I want Josephine's pants to be high waters. I want Jack's onesies to no longer button between the legs because it means they're growing and they're healthy and they're strong. I want their legs to stretch and their arms to lengthen. And as sad as it is, I want Jack to lose his little chubby baby arms and become the little boy that he's supposed to be, right? Because it means they're growing up exactly as they should. And as much as I grieve when I fold up all of Jack's little baby rompers, it is right and it is good because at a certain point, the rompers need to go, right? They're no longer appropriate wear. And it's so obvious. It's so obvious to us, right, that if we stop growing, we just stay the same, something is wrong. If my kids never outgrew their clothes, something is wrong. There is unhealth beneath the surface. And yet, and yet, it doesn't seem weird at all for people to come to faith and then stay the same for years and years. Same struggles, same sinful patterns over and over again, same attitudes and same habits, still wearing those baby rompers. And it is just not right. <laughs> kind of like the emergence of the men's rompers, guys. This is what it looks like when we don't spiritually grow. I'm just kidding. There you go. Tommy volunteered to model this for us today, and I said, under no circumstances will that ever happen, though. But you see, in our spiritual growth, instead of acknowledging, instead of acknowledging that something is wrong, like we're not growing, something's wrong. Like if my kids stopped growing, I would know I would go to the doctor, right? But in our spiritual life, when we stop growing or we reach this plateau, instead of acknowledging that something is maybe wrong or off, we, and by we I mean me, gloss over it with stuff like saying, oh, it's, it's a journey. Meaning, of course, it take, change takes forever, so like never, maybe, right? Or I'm only human, nobody's perfect. Or 
well, God loves me just as I am, and so I'm just good like this. And there's truth in all of those statements, just a little nugget, right? Growing in Christ is a journey. It's not a magic wand moment. We are all human. We are fallen and we are marred by sin. And God does love us exactly as we are, warts and all, no matter what. But let's get real. If we never change, if we never experience transformation, something is wrong. There is unhealth in the system. And I hope you know, after almost four years, that when I say kind of hard things like that, I'm talking to myself as well. Now, your church leadership team feels that continual growth in grace is so important that we made it one of our core values. So this is one of the core values that we've been talking about for the last three years. And it's this, at America, Nazarene, no, that's my college. At Mountain Home, Church of the Nazarene, we do not stay the same. We respond to the Holy Spirit's call to walk down paths that lead to restoration through growth and learning in community. We don't stay the same. If we say we are walking with Jesus, but our lives aren't changing to reflect that to an ever-increasing degree, something is wrong. Now, in other parts of our life, this makes sense, right? Like if you persist in a behavior and you're not getting the result that you want or you expect, you're probably doing it wrong. And so you make a change, right? I once had a friend, and this is not a story I have made up for a sermon illustration. This actually happened, I, tr- I promise. I had a friend who really wanted to lose some weight, and so she decided she was going to go on, a, go on a diet. And it was a diet of her own creation called the all-white diet, where she was only going to be eating all-white foods, saltine crackers, potatoes, pasta, rice, okay? Um, needless to say, it wasn't terribly effective, Right? <laughs> It was all refined carbs, no veggies, no fruits, no lean proteins, okay, right? And so she made a change. She's like, you know what? The saltine diet, it's not working out for me. I maybe should add in a vegetable, okay? And we realized that when we persist in something and it's not really getting us the result that we wanted or we were hoping for, we make a change. Because what do they say is the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result. And that is not the life in Christ that we are aiming for. If we attend this church, if you attend this church for five years and when you leave, you are unchanged, we have failed. If you don't love Jesus more, if you don't love your neighbor more, if you don't give regularly to the church with both your time and your resources, if you don't hunger for the word more, if you don't have an ever-increasing desire to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to a hurting world, then we failed. Because at this church, we don't stay the same. We can't. And so that's the goal. Life transformation, to respond to the Holy Spirit's call to walk down these paths that lead to restoration through learning and growth in community. It's simple, but it's not easy. And so we need to dig a little deeper through these catchy slogans and phrases and through these metaphors and man rompers and saltine cracker diets. We have to ask some actual serious questions about transformation. And this first question, I think this is the most important one, is what is the best that I can hope for in this life? Like on a scale of one to 10, how saved from sin can I actually get? 
Like, can I, no struggle? That'd be cool. Like, no temptation? Ooh, she's temptation-proof. That is sweet. Right? Can we expect that? Or is sin just too big and too bad, and we're just kind of doomed to muddle through until the end of time? Is freedom from sin actually possible, or am I just stuck until heaven? That's a big question, isn't it? And the second question is a big one, too. It says, who is actually, this whole big scheme of transformation and life change, who is actually doing the work? Am I just not trying hard enough? Or maybe I'm trying too hard and I'm not allowing the spirit to work. So we need to ask these questions. But let's go back to that first one. What's the best that I can hope for in this life? Like, how free from sin can I actually get? And the question we're actually asking is, is holiness a possibility? Or is it just some theological pipe dream that doesn't actually fly when it tries to land on the ground? Now, back in the day, 1700s, back even before then, there was groups of theologians and people, churches, that really believed this idea that every single person, every single day, without fail, will sin in word, thought, and deed, knowingly, intentionally disobey the word of God. Because humanity was so depraved, and they were going to stay that way until the end of time. Until Jesus came back. They believe that. And there are many churches that still affirm that belief today. Now, our theological forefounder, uh, John Wesley, as he was studying and praying and reflecting on this and talking with his parishioners, he said, really? Like, we will sin every day? Like, we have to? Like, it's inevitable that I will sin every day without exception? So, let me get this. Even after I have been saved by the blood and resurrection of Christ, I'm still a slave to sin? That's the best I can hope for? A life defined by continual failure and defeat by sin? So is God's arm too short to save us entirely to the uttermost? So here's the thing. When we normalize failure... And we justify these never-changing sinful patterns in our lives. And we give in to the idea that, oh, that's just normal and healthy to say the same forever. We are not shortchanging ourselves. We're shortchanging God. Because we are, in fact, saying that, no, God, in fact, what you did through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus just wasn't quite enough to set me free from sin. Forgiveness, yes. Freedom, And while that might, on the surface, seem like a position of humility or self-effacement, just trying to get real about sin, it is actually the greatest position of arrogance. Because essentially, in denying what God did in Jesus and saying, that's not enough both to forgive me and set me free, you're saying, yeah, you see, that might work for most folks, but you see, I'm the exception. My sin, my struggle is just so profound, it is so unique that I can actually not be free from sin. I, I can't. Really? You're the exception. I'm, I am the exception. You are the lone human being in the world whose sin is so great that even the blood of God incarnate cannot free you? That is some sin right there. Do you see what I mean? It's arrogance. And it's an excuse to give us permission to continue in those same toxic, sinful patterns day in and day out. And so we settle. We settle for just a little salvation, 
just a little forgiveness from sin to keep me out of hell, but easy on the transformation. That whole freedom from sin came. Well, Wesley concluded, he said, that's not salvation. He said, by salvation, I mean not barely, according to the vulgar notion of deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but a present deliverance from sin. Basically, Wesley says, you don't have to intentionally, on purpose, go against the will of God every single day, as you know or understand it. We do not have to continue as slaves to sin until we die. Guys, that's really good news. He was so assured of God's great redemptive act in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that, that it was enough, abundantly enough to set us free from sin. And so, too, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is abundantly enough to bring us into the experience of freedom of sin that so easily entangles, even in this imperfect life. So what can we hope for in this life? Sinless perfection? Never making mistakes or errors in judgment or mess-ups? Never making the wrong call? Never rebelling? I think not. But when we can hope for, and what I think we should hope for, is freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom unto God. Freedom from the chains of those bad choices that continually tangle us up, those habits and those hang-ups, and freedom to live into God's love so fully as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so as we keep saying yes. It is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit to not stay the same. Amen. But back to our other question. How? I mean, it's great that we can be free from the slavery to sin. It's great that God's arm is not too short to save us to the uttermost. But what does the how look like? Is it me trying harder? Or is it me doing nothing and the Holy Spirit just kind of whipping me into shape? Because that would be fantastic if that was possible. Is it grace or deeds? Oh, that old tired debate. I'm tired of that debate. Because we can go round and round circles hashing it out, can't we? Well, it's God, but it's also me. It's both. But actually, that discussion is wrong-headed from the outset. Do you know why? Because it starts off in the wrong place. It assumes that the two parties involved, namely you and God, me and God, come to the table as equal partners in this whole life transformation process. It makes the assumption that we bring just as much to the table as God does. And we just have to figure out the right mix of God's product and ours, and we'll have it right. Well, let me get the, let's make this very, very clear. I bring a whole lot of nothing to the table, and neither do you. Because we are weak, we are broken, and we are wounded, and we are fickle, and we are selfish. And don't agree? I mean, you can say, Stephanie, please, look at all the wonderful things people have done, like, like medical advances and architecture and... Sometimes countries kind of get along, aren't we proud, right? But let me ask you this. How many days can you go without sleep before you drop dead? Not very many. Here's a better question. How long can your kids go without a snack before World War III breaks out? <laughs> or your wife, if the case may be. Because that's me, amen. Uh, if my whole day can rise or fall based on whether or not I went to bed on time last night, 
and my whole perspective can be altered because I have a little bit of a headache. I am weak. It does not take much to pull the rug out from underneath me. And those are just some of our biological weaknesses. Consider some of our moral weaknesses, our proclivity to prefer self, our tendency to put self on the throne to the detriment of those around us. You see, all those great contributions we've made to humankind pale in comparison to the destruction that we have caused. The wars we wage, the abusive economic practices we engage in, the racism that we institutionalize and then pretend it's imaginary, the corruption of leaders, the abuse in the secret corners of our own homes. We are biologically weak, but we are also morally frail. So let's stop pretending that we are equal partners in this process with God because we're not, not even a little bit. Yes, we are made in the image of God, but we are damaged goods, damaged by the consequences of sin, our sin and the sin that has been committed against us. But here's the thing, in this is good news because we need some because that was dark the good news is that before we knew up from down left from right god had already made a way before we even knew he has been inviting and wooing and calling us unto himself before we even had ears to hear god's grace was already drawing us to god And how it happens, for some of us, we're four, some of us, we're 47, and our spirit is awakened to God's call. Do you remember the moment when your heart was awakened? When you recognized God's call in your life, his love extended to you, and that invitation to respond. Now, the very definition of that word, respond, implies that our action to God is secondary. He acts first, and we respond to that action. But even then, even then, our response is saturated in grace. John Wesley said, God works strongly and sweetly to empower our ability to respond without overriding our responsibility. Did you catch that? God empowers us to respond without forcing our hand empowerment, not overpowerment. Grace comes in not just as a pardon to heal, or pardon from sin, but a power to heal. God extends to us not just forgiveness, but freedom. And as we respond, continually and faithfully over time, empowered by grace all the while, we don't stay the same. Can you imagine? We are transformed into the image of God's son and we enter into this lifelong character formation process brought possible by that never failing, always initiating, ever empowering, grace-filled love of God. Isn't God so good? Not just to call us to be holy, but to actually provide a way to make it happen. In Philippians 2.13, he says, For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is amazing 
grace that makes a way for us before we even knew to ask, empowering us to respond without overpowering our will. But what about that response? God's grace does the heavy lifting. We established that. But God in his love never overrides our will, and he creates this, like, sacred space in which we must say yes. What does it look like to say yes to God? Some people would say, it's a moment in time. You're like, yes, God, here I am, boom, and you're good. But I would suggest, like Eugene Peterson, that saying yes to God looks a little bit more like a long obedience in the same direction. You hear that? A long obedience in the same direction. Not a mere moment in time where we say yes to Jesus, but a repeated daily lifelong yes with our feet pointed to Jesus. Our direction matters. Saying yes looks like showing up, expectant, trusting the Spirit will refine, will cleanse, will heal, will make new. See, God has invited and we respond. And in that holy mix of grace and response, we will not, we cannot stay the same. Pastor Debbie, come. Yeah, we trust and we believe that God has invited us, that he has called us into an ever-deepening relationship with him. And he doesn't stop right there. Because he provides those ways for us to be able to respond through invitation. Like Pastor Stephanie said, there are many means of grace, including service, engaging in community, um, accountability. But today we want to look specifically at the discipleship opportunities that are being offered this fall. So ways that you might be able to respond to the Spirit's prompting and experience transformation. So at this time, I'd like to invite the leaders and those who are participating in some of those groups to come up and join us. Up. Now, these are all leaders of our various discipleship kind of groups and stuff. And I'm going to have one big question for these guys. Tommy's going to move this, this so they can see. Um, my big question for this, for these individuals, is going to be, how has participating in this particular group brought about change in you? How are you not the same for having cooperated with the Spirit by engaging in these opportunities. So I'm actually going to start by asking Pastor Debbie. If you guys don't know, this is Pastor Debbie in the red down here. Yeah, Tyler, just, you know, have a seat. Have a seat. Right. There you go. There you go. All right. Um, I'm going to start with Pastor Debbie. She has been taking over some of our adult discipleship on Wednesday nights, and she's going to be teaching a class called uh, The Cycle of Victorious Living. So tell us a little bit, just a very short snippet about what that class is. And my question is, if someone were to commit to coming to this class for six weeks, how might the Spirit bring about transformation through that class? So you know when you're going through those struggles and you're in those in-between spaces that Pastor Stephanie had mentioned, this class will, the Spirit, I believe, truly will do four things. Commit you to Christ. Trust you in Christ. Um, this is the one I always forget. Oh, rejoice while you're in the midst of that turmoil in Christ and also relax you in Christ. Mm. And so this is based off of Psalms 37, so it'll be a little bit deeper. Good. So that starts this Wednesday. Yes, in six weeks, you, you uh, kind of explore this idea of uh, the cycle of victorious living and how that can bring about change in our life. Correct. Okay, wonderful. Awesome. All 
who we got? Got Miss Joy. I'm going to hand you that. Miss Joy, so we're talking about the ladies' Bible study. You've been doing these in-depth Bible studies for a number of years. In your own life, how has the Spirit used these studies to bring about change in your life? Well, my life has never been the same because of the ladies' Bible study. As uh, we meet together to study God's Word, we share our stories of how he has been faithful. Mm. We challenge and encourage one another. We pray for each other. We, keep, we are kept accountable to seeking the Lord with all our hearts. Mm. You know, life is tough. Life is busy. It's messy. But God is faithful. Mm. Weekly, I see how studying his word and trusting and obeying him and gathering together to study brings miracles of hope mm. and restoration mm. and peace to our lives. Each time we meet, his spirit within each of us is renewed, and we have the desire and the strength to go out into the world eager to share the good news. Now, Ms. Joy, your class starts tomorrow. Tomorrow at, night at 6.30. At 6.30, and you're doing David, Seeking a Heart Like God. So, get Joy, your class is kind of a gateway. There are people who haven't been able to come to this service or have been intimidated by the sanctuary or whatever, but they will come to Miss Joyce's Bible study. And people have come to know Christ and that they are not the same for having been there. So thanks be to God for that ministry. All right, pass that on down to Tyler. Now, Tyler is teaching um, for like the third or fourth time, Financial Peace University. And you would think, now, experiencing God's transforming power works in every aspect of our life, okay? God doesn't just care about like the quote-unquote spiritual he cares about all parts of our bodies and our lives, including our finances. So how has FPU been an agent of God's transforming power in your life? Uh, for me personally, uh, it all comes back down to scripture. Dave Ramsey talks about everything that he teaches is biblically related. And Timothy 6.6 6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Mm. So what that has brought for me, my family, my wife, everything is really contentment. Mm. Uh, if you're not working and struggling and stressing over where is this payment going to come from? Where is this going to come from? Mm. Uh, you experience peace, just like the title, and you're able to hear the spirit and hopefully be a conduit for that spirit and give out your time and energy to mm -hmm. the community and those areas that uh, the spirit is calling you because you have that peace and contentment. So it's kind of a big commitment. There's a bit of an, a financial investment to start, and there's also it's 13 weeks, right? It, it used to be 13 weeks. It's now nine oh, weeks. Oh, nine. Just kidding. It's yeah. nine. Yeah. Right. So if somebody was to commit to a nine-week course of study with you in this, how might their life not be the same having uh, committed to that discipline? Uh, kind of echoing back to my uh, earlier statement as well, uh, really just that peace and contentment because mm -hmm. I'm sure everybody has felt the spirit calling them <laughs> or pulling them in a certain direction. And when you don't maybe have the spare capital, money, or maybe you don't have the spare time to invest in that endeavor, uh, you can't faithfully follow the spirit. But uh, if you have your finances in play, uh, it's, it's crazy and it's maybe sad when society today that so much of our heartache, stress, and everything is financial. Mm. If you can reach that even footing where you have that peace, 
then your eyes and your heart are open for the spirit calling you and you're more able to follow mm -hmm. those pursuits and affect the world around you. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing. So your class starts Wednesday at seven. Yes, ma'am. Here and there's free childcare. Yes, right? there is. All right, sounds good. Thank you. All right, Lynn's next. So, Lynn, we're going to be talking briefly about life groups because Pastor Tommy's going to be talking a little bit more in depth next week um, when he's the significance of Christian community next week. So, life groups, but life groups are a part of our learning and growth in community. And life groups aren't just a separate Bible study, okay? Our life groups um, is a process that we go through, and we're specifically talking about the sermon the previous Sunday, and we're going a little bit more <coughs> in depth into that. Um, so we're talking about those experiences that we want to come up with. So Lynn, your question is, what transformation have you seen in yourself and in your group as engaged in the message together? Um, I can't think of anything that's made a, a bigger difference in the way I worship than life groups. Um, Today is a good example. Sometimes Pastor Stephanie can talk faster than I can listen. No, that is and not true. <laughs> Lies. And it, it's very easy to listen and say, um, well, I've got to do that. And you go home, and before you know it, it's Saturday, and you haven't done anything at all. Hmm. Getting together with a life group, you can mm -hmm. discuss these things, and you discuss other things. A life group really becomes your family. Mm -hmm. And it's just an awesome way to change methods that maybe haven't worked in the past. Mm -hmm. I would, I would uh, recommend that everyone try a life group. It may not be for you. Uh, if, if you can't work it in some way, pick up the questions. The questions are just as awesome as the sermons are. Look those over. It will help. So, Lynn, how has, by you participating, um, changed how you receive the experience from the Sunday messages? Well, it, it <laughs> gives us a way to put into practice mm. what we're hearing. Mm. Uh, it, it gives you people that have experiences um, that many people would have would have found you know, just life destroying mm. and how people have turned those into positives in their life. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it, it really gives you a, a method of um, joining together with another group and seeing the different people's opinions and different perceptions that people have. Good. Thank you. And so life group signups are starting now, so starting... New sessions start next week, and they are in six-week increments. Mm -hmm. And there's openings on Sunday night, uh, Monday night, and Thursday night. So if you didn't fill out one of your little cards uh, for your offering plate, there's also you can fill it out online through the website at mhnazarene.org. So you can sign up for a life group there as well. All right, Leland, here we go. Leland and his wife Nancy are leaders of our Next Steps uh, group. And uh, you came to us a few months ago uh, because you had felt prompted by the Spirit to start exploring a class for people who are new to faith or who have just not a strong understanding of faith, and you did not know that the Spirit had been doing the same thing in us. 
And it was so beautiful to see how those two things had come together. So I want to ask you, Leland, if someone who is new to the faith or doesn't know much about this would come to your class and commit to being present, how might this class bring about transformation in that person's life? <clears throat> My original 45-minute answer, I can see that's not appropriate now. Uh, so I'll try to try to cut it down. But a little bit of background i got to go first of all is I had no church background at all. And uh, so at 30 years of age, I came to the conclusion there was a God and I wasn't it. And uh, I, my whole life was, people, I'm sure there were people that envied me at the time. I had a beautiful wife, two beautiful kids, a beautiful house, a beautiful dog. Uh, I mean, it was, it was great from the outside. But uh, my marriage was on the rocks and, and we were done for. And so that's a long story, and if you're interested, I'll tell it to you sometime. But anyway, my heart is still with people who have no background whatsoever. And you walk into a church sometimes, and it's like walking into a trig class, and you haven't had math 101. <laughs> and you're going, okay, this sounds really good. Well, I can tell you, you can go into that trig class, and you can fake it for quite a while until there's a test. <laughs> well... Christianity is a lot the same way, and I think one thing that has upset me so often is I have people say, oh yeah, I tried that Christianity. It just didn't work for me. The question is, why not? Well, in my opinion, it's because you never had any background. You didn't start at 101 and gradually go to it, and when the test hits you, you folded because... You just didn't have what you needed. So, uh, Pastor Stephanie said that the Spirit had kind of after me, well, yeah, after me for about four or five years <laughs> to teach his class. And I finally, and when I walked in, I don't know, a year ago and I said that to her, the reaction, I wasn't sure, was like, oh, really? Or like, really? Uh, and come to find out, it was a, oh, Really? It was something that they had been praying about, and uh, I've been teaching uh, for 25 years, adult Sunday school, and I will tell you right now, there's some of those people that know 10 times more about the Bible than I do. After 25 years, I figure I've got 25% of it down, maybe. And uh, But to start with questions, here's a person, and if you think you don't know anything and you're dumb, in my, I thought Christ was Jesus's last name. And I'm serious. Mm -hmm. I'd never been in church in, in my life. Except maybe a couple of people. Are you saying it's not? Are you saying Christ is not his last name? Let's clarify that. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's probably a couple of people that are going to say, oh, really? Uh, and, and I hope you do. Time. Come to class. Because that's where I was. Then I realized Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, none of them had a last name. Um, but questions. You, If you haven't got questions, then you're probably wasting your time sitting here. You might as well go somewhere else and drown a worm or something. I don't know. Um, but we had one last spring. We had five people. Uh, never had all five of them there at the same time. And they would be the ones to ask, you know, is, is this worth your time? But if you're serious, uh, Jesus saved you from something, but he saved you for something. Amen. So good. And... I uh, still got 43 minutes. Stop it. Realize. All right. So this slide is where it says uh, April 23rd. It's September 23rd. So not next Sunday, but in two Sundays, this new session will start. 
It will last for eight weeks. It will stop right before the holiday season kind of begins with Thanksgiving. And it will be at the 11 a.m. service. Yes. I said my marriage was on the rocks. Uh, it was. We were done. We were living in the same house, and that was it. We found Jesus completely separately. If I can say this. 50 years in December. Is our 50th Amen. Anniversary? Praise God. Praise God. All right. Oh, I got to sit down. All right, go ahead. Pastor Stephanie, it is your turn. Yes. So this class, the membership class, is a little bit different. It's not a Bible study exactly, and it doesn't teach you how to be wise steward of your money or how to overcome obstacles in Christ. It's almost like a mini history and yes. theology class. Do not let that scare you, the word theology, okay? So here's the question. How can a class like that be a tool of the Spirit's transformation in our lives? Well, if you know me at all, I love teaching membership class, and I won't let anyone else teach it because I'm like, no, that's mine, that because I love teaching the membership class because I so deeply love our church. And when you participate in the membership class, you realize you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. You're a part of something that's bigger than Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene. You're a part of a denomination that spreads over 160 different world areas, a um, couple million people who are all following Jesus just like you. And um, the thing is, is that this exercise in, in learning our history and in learning a little bit about our beliefs and where those are rooted in scripture and in tradition um, is a renewal of the mind. You know what Paul says? He says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And when we engage in these disciplines, even ones that are maybe a little bit more challenging sometimes, it's a great opportunity for the Lord to transform us as he transforms our mind and expands it and help us to see things a little bit differently. So if you want to um, come to the membership class, it lasts four weeks. After the end of the class, you are under no obligation to join the church, but you have the opportunity to do so. And um, it will be on Wednesday night starting the first week of um, October. So keep that on your calendar if you're interested in that. All right, last one. All right, last one. Here we go. And this is a new ministry that we're starting. Again, Pastor Debbie is going to help lead us through this for this next thing. Uh, grief share. Now, I mentioned with Pastor, or with Pastor, with Tyler here. Sorry, uh, Professor Tyler. Uh, teacher Tyler. So I uh, mentioned with him that um, growing in faith is not just about, like, learning new scripture verses and spiritual development. It's about our whole persons. God cares about our financial struggle. God cares about the hurts we carry in our heart. And grief share um, is a little bit about that. Now, give us a very succinct summary of what grief share is. So grief share is for those who have experienced a loss by a spouse, a parent, a child, a close <coughs> friend. And we'll come together for 13 weeks. It's an open week, so you can attend any one of those. If you miss one, you're okay with that. And we'll come together. We'll watch a video by those who have kind of walked through this process as well. And we'll um, have discussion and a workbook together. Okay. So it sounds a little bit like counseling slash group therapy slash Bible study all wrapped up into one beautiful little thing. Kind of? Yeah. Yes. And so how might someone who has experienced a grief, um, a death, come through this process and come out on the other side different? Change. So the spirit might, uh, I think, is going to work individually within everybody. But to bring hope mm -hmm. and healing um, amongst some of that, um, in addition to, I think it's going to, um, the Spirit's going to really work in them to draw themselves closer to God. Amen. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. You guys may be seated. Now, these are just some of the opportunities that we are talking about that we say, we don't stay the same. 
we move forward through paths of transformation empowered by the spirit through learning and growth and community. And all these different classes are opportunities to do that. Our kids and our teens, they also meet on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, and they are following the same pattern of this call to not stay the same. But the best of all, the good news of all of this, guys, is that it rests upon the Spirit's call. The Spirit's invitation to us to say yes, to practice a long obedience in the same direction. Father God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you have invited us. You have wooed us forth. You have called us unto yourself. You have made a way, not only for our forgiveness, but for our freedom. So would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to say yes to you? Thanksgiving.